Everybody, I am here back in the studio with Lottie. Today we have something special for you. Today we're gonna be talking about. Oh yeah, you guessed it. That's good. We're spicing things up. Mm. We even have a second theme song. <laughs> Today, me and Lottie are talking about sex. Ooh, we yeah. have brought very sexy poems to kind of, you know, riddle you up this week. Mm -hmm. um, we've decided, you know, poetry can be sexy. Yeah. We're going for like hot librarian look. That's what we're doing. I'm an advocate for that. Okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. So let's just get straight into it. What did you bring for us, Lottie? Well, I thought, okay, sex. Let's go back to the ancients. Mm -hmm. I went with the OG sex symbol of poetry, dear Sappho. Sappho is an ancient Greek poet, actually perhaps one of the first female lyric poets. She's canonized in the nine lyric poets from uh, the ancient period. And yeah, she has a lot to say about her love for women. And she articulates it very well. Sappho actually came to me in a time when I was, you know, exploring and questioning what it means to love and what it means to be sexually attracted to someone. And I feel like she just sort of nails, nails it on the head. I'm going to read it for you guys. There actually is no title to this poem. A lot of the poems from Sappho exist in fragments because obviously... Mm. It's amazing that we have these poems that still exist from the ancient period. They didn't really give them titles, which does justice to the catalogue of work that she left behind. <clears throat> Here we go. That fellow strikes me as a god's double, couched with you face to face, delighting in your warm manner, your amiable talk and inviting. Laughter, the revelation flutters, my ventricles, my sternum and stomach. The least glimpse and my lost voice stutters, refuses to come back. Because my tongue is shattered, gauzy flame runs radiating under my skin, and all that I see is hazy, my ears all thunder. Sweat comes quickly, and a shiver vibrates my frame. I am more swallow than grass, and suffer such a fever as death should follow. But I must suffer further worthless as i am sappho mm, stop yeah she I gives us the shivers <laughs> i know um so some of the analysis that has been done of this poem very famous fragment um it's simple the female narrator sees a beloved girl talking and laughing with a man and then proceeds to describe this woman And she's sort of the object of sappho's desire and probably sat having a mediocre conversation with this dude um and Sappho's like mm, why don't you come over here why don't you talk to me and the the famous saying is like oh I'm, I'm i'm so gay i'm sappho you know and a lot of her sexual preferences do exist in her poetry although we don't have a direct confirmation from history that sappho indeed did have sexual relations with women we know mm -hmm. that there was a court of women that sappho presided over 
which um, if I could go back in time, I'd probably choose to be right there. Um, Yeah, I just think the way that she grips language to explore the bodily functions that happen one by one as you're realising your sexual attraction to another person are just sublime and genius as well. And it reminds us that sexual desire has been there since day one that it is Mm. a primal instinct that we can all enjoy and that none of us should should be ashamed of even dating back to so far as ancient Greece yeah I never feel any shame in Sappho's poetry from what I've read I, I never feel that she has an ounce of fear when writing about her lovers or yeah. about her desires which I think is is a great testament to being brave and expressing yourself in the way that feels most true to you. Yeah, and I think also just in relation to kind of uh, queer stories that exist at the moment, I think like, I know that this was something I read when Call Me By Your Name came out, that people mm-hmm. really appreciated that story because, you know, because it was it existed in this very removed Italian town or something, that all of the controversies that uh, gay people would uh, have to face to be gay mm. was not like a main plot in the storyline and that it was just kind of went straight down to just that desire and didn't Mm. talk necessarily about all of the hardships. And I think if you are a queer person, you know, dealing with your sexuality and stuff, there's a lot of social political things that are going to come into it. But reading a poem like Sappho, I think, is nice because it also strips those away for a moment Mm. and you get to just dwell in that moment of like having your skin tingle because you see like a really pretty girl Mm. um, across the room. Exactly. I feel that the experience of being queer or discovering queerness and your and your sexuality can sometimes be overshadowed by socio-political aspects that mm. that might interfere with your expression mm. and that, call me by your name was such a lovely film for making it only about desire and mm. the awakening and the discovery of of this experience with someone you love yeah. and it wasn't for one moment there wasn't a an ounce of reception that, mm-hmm. that overshadowed the whole experience and there there is discourse and dialogue given to that that Sappho wasn't received very well um, later on because you know these, this was obscene or it wasn't deemed appropriate to, to enter the, the canon of antiquity mm. but I also think she's incredibly clever in that she does conceal a lot of nuances mm. that I feel only become apparent to those who have had that experience aka not a white straight male who would read it and be like <laughs> I'm kind of confused by what this line means um, <laughs> uh, if you could just you know explain it to me why would her tongue be shattered um <laughs> and Sappho's really writing to an audience she's writing to her, her court of women who are mm-hmm. you know I like to imagine that she's somewhat of a role model for these women to mm. I, I don't know how old she is when she's writing these poems that's kind of the beauty of ancient Greek poems they don't really exist in a, in a fixed temporality they yeah the knowledge we have is so obscure that it kind of moves through the period and that obviously has its advantages and disadvantages but with Sappho I quite like it because it it moves through history with Mm. developments in queer theory or you know gay civil Mm. rights or all of these elements develop along with Sappho and she's sort of yeah and the mystery is kind of sexy yeah (laughs) 
And I think that's what we've got to remind ourselves that like we've got a lot to to thank our our ancestors for our, our gay ancestors who went forth <clears throat> and fought for the right to express themselves freely and it feels to me like Sappho is in western civilization at least the root of that mm. some of the imagery here that the sounds that she explores laughter the revelation flutters my ventricles my sternum and stomach the idea that you know in sex sound can have such an effect on on your body mm. and I really love that image and she goes on because my tongue is shattered there's a speechlessness that she can't obviously it kind of symbolizes the speechlessness that one would have in that sort of society where perhaps it's not deemed appropriate to mm. approach a woman and profess your love for her especially when she's uh, maybe talking to you know her betrothed or, or <laughs> whoever this man is it's not really yeah. specifically named but she's speechless in in two ways. It has this dual meaning of, I can't act upon my desires, but I, I couldn't anyway, because look at you. Look at you standing there. How could I even begin to approach you? My tongue is shattered. And I, I particularly love in poetry about sex, the, the image of heat, mm. that it almost spits and crackles like an actual fire in the poem. Um, flame runs radiating under my skin and all that I see is hazy my ears all thunder you know it's this dramatic explosion of heat and and fire and and lightning and thunder that she's experiencing I like to believe she's standing still in this moment Mm -hmm. and she's sort of sort of struck by lightning still you know you Mm -hmm. can't you can't move you're possessed by some otherworldly power that's Mm. all come from one person i just think that's the closest to magic you can even get you know (laughs) that a a person could have that effect on you it's wonderful and i think that that's what i find so great about like really good poetry about sex and erotic poetry is that it sort of manages to you know the feeling when you are like close or you look at or something at someone that you really like and that you're attracted to and you just feel like tingling on your skin and like warmth And I think like the really good poems like this one, they sort of recreate that Mm. and you kind of get that feeling when you're you're reading it, you know, and I don't know what it is. Maybe it's something super logical, like the S's and the T's as though somebody was like kind of blowing on your neck or something Mm. and you feel the shivers or maybe and in a more magical way, maybe it's just that. You know, whatever Sappho felt as she was writing, it got transmitted into those words and it gets transmitted back to us when we read it. I'm gonna just go for that option because I really like that yeah idea. <laughs> I think that's the the option that I would opt for as well but she's so agitated in this poem as well it's so restless and it's so hard to put your finger when I'm being intimate with someone I get lost you know mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm lost in the moment and you sort of have this almost a, a picture book of, of moments from the intimacy that you can take with you you don't you know you don't have a recording I mean if if, that, <laughs> if that's your style then then please but you don't have a shot by shot memory yeah. of of sex or intimacy it's you remember it through your senses through mm-hmm. smell through touch through taste and I feel like she's really doing that moving through the senses mm. laughter tongue sweat comes quickly and sh- and a shiver vibrates my frame mm-hmm. definitely and actually i mean when i come to my poem that's something i definitely was thinking about a lot when i was reading it mm. of course sex is super interesting in itself and you could talk about it forever but i think also exploring the world with a sensuality 
is very interesting because we have such a visual culture of understanding. But mm. what's great about sex is that it engages with the world, with other people in a way that in, that compromises everything. You know, uh, smell, touch, as you said, um, taste, you know, you exchange bodily fluids. Mm. You know, ev- it's a way of approaching the world that's much more poetic in a way much more sensorial and not as removed and i think maybe if we engaged in like sexual practices more often in the sense of like you know seeing sex in other places also maybe we would approach the world in a more thorough full way Mm, definitely i think sex is this place of such trust that the idea that we could possibly encounter it in our day-to-day lives Mm. that we would you know encounter that vulnerability on the street or in very violent situations as well with sexual assault you know it's really sex has to be on our terms it has to be when we are ready and when we when we feel we can invite someone into into our universe in some way you know Mm -hmm. because it really is emerging yourself into the senses of another it's kind of as if your senses become one you know taste touch smell um sight everything becomes another I, i wonder what the woman Sappho is staring at what she would have written in response to this Mm. you know how would they look side by side Mm -hmm. and that's I mean they call that chemistry don't they if 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 the two sparks ignite together and the poem looks variably the same yeah and boy oh boy Sappho (laughs) boy oh boy boy oh boy (laughs) and I think in that way poetry is kind of the one of the only forms that could manage to grasp desire and Mm. sex in a certain way because i think it's something you know attraction is something that's so weird and ephemeral and unexplainable like why a certain person could literally just like touch your shoulder or something and you'll feel your whole body like collapse and Mm. then someone else you'll feel nothing you know what what is what is happening what is it and so trying Mm. to grasp it and write about it also because you're in such a, a like a fuzzy maze when you're actually experiencing it yeah. um i feel like poetry is one of the only forms that can like really um give justice to it you know we're like mm. we're not reading like i don't know uh 50 shades of gray or something no. you know <laughs> we're not going at it pragmatically like here we want all of the everything that goes into desire and sex like the ah yeah you know sex is also something you you can't really put your finger on sometimes I feel like like if we really consider how many poems about sex there are Mm. by poets we are familiar with I think we'd be very surprised to find that there are uh, compared to poems about the social issues nature these are things that people can put their finger on and focus on whereas I feel sex is so much about the letting go of Mm. of that grip you have on the world Mm. so when you as far as I'm aware, no one wrote a poem whilst actively having sex. Um, mm. I'm, I'd be very intrigued as to how that works. It's always, you know, you're in the balm of the afterglow mm. of having sex, presuming you're having, you know, good sex, which unfortunately some people are not. No, which um, is also why, <clears throat> funnily enough, we bro- both have brought uh, <laughs> poems about uh, I mean. about lesbian sex. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so 
if that's going to say something. I mean, yes. Um, <laughs> and if you are having bad sex out there, please do reconsider your choices. Exactly. Go read some Sappho, Go you know. Go read some Sappho. She'll give you some tips and tricks. Mm, exactly. And I actually, you know, speaking about the male presence and the male gaze, the beginning line, that fellow strikes me as God's double. It's, I have found personally quite difficult to get away from sex within the terms of masculinity mm-hmm. or from the male gaze or because that's what I've grown up with that's mm-hmm. what I've become accustomed to and it's such a process of unlearning yeah. that many of us have to go through to redefine our pleasure in other ways I'm not saying at all that we cannot find that pleasure with men mm-hmm. but I definitely think that there's a middle ground that has to be reached whereby each person's pleasure is yeah. taken into account yeah for sure and I think that's why I'm super happy that both the poems we brought in are about female desire because I do think that the kind of overriding narrative Mm. uh, in sexuality even about kind of women's sex is male desire even when you think of like lesbian porn industry or something most often it's filmed for men's pleasure and has nothing to do with actually two women having like it's not for the pleasure of women and I think I'm super happy that by coincidence both of us Mm. um brought texts that focus on female desire because actually well I brought in Jenny Hival an excerpt from her book Paradise Rot and I was hesitating to bring in you know like growing up in France and like speaking the French language I had a lot of like poems to choose from from these like you know French male poets Mm. uh, all about the the mountain of the ass and the breast and the the beauties of the asshole like the eyes are like the moon exactly like there was a lot to choose from but in the end I really thought you know no I want to choose something I want to choose something that gives me a version of sexuality that I connect with and that Mm. I feel includes my my gaze my desires my my truths I really Um, thought with this theme as well that it was always the poems I I bring in I I do truly enjoy but with this I didn't feel like I could bring in a poem that I looked at subjectively mm -mm. it had to be something that was personally to me very appealing because just as sex is a very honest open act I think talking about it is also very honest and open if you're going to actually approach a conversation about it you know you only start doing that with people you're very close with or if you feel comfortable talking about sex openly then good for you but it's I always hope it's coming from a place of honesty and you know and I'm glad that we're having this conversation also because I think there does need to be more conversations about sex and Mm, the beauty like between people having sex between friends between men about how they approach sexuality with women like there used to be so many more conversations about sex because often sex is also not just about sex yeah exactly sex Um, is also about trust about intimacy about gender about expression about things we've learned like norms mm, yeah cultural conditioning definitely and I, I remember only talking about orgasms even with my female friends when we reached the age of 18 maybe or well into our late teens and I thought wow how has it taken us so long to get here it was only until I was in an all-girls boarding school that you know finally we were like okay well we're locked up together so we might as well talk about yeah for sure like I also think you know the idea of like the female orgasm or like sex outside of penetration or like the fact that most women won't come from just penetration Mm. or like talks about the clitoris I didn't start having those till like quite late now that I'm thinking about it you know like that was those were never conversations that came up in my sexual health classes I'm going to introduce... Tell me what you brought along. (laughs) Um, So actually, I'm doing something a bit different. 
I decided to bring in an excerpt from a book. So this is not technically poetry, but I would say that this whole book is basically just like one massive poetic prose. I also brought it in just because I want to give it as a recommendation. This book is called Paradise Rot. It's written by a Norwegian singer-songwriter slash book writer. <laughs> and it's about this woman called Jo, and she moves to a new country, and she moves into this house without walls with this other woman that kind of has, you know, Jo is very reserved, and this woman has, like, no boundaries and is a very, like, free person. And it's a whole story about kind of sexual awakening and queer desire. And towards the end of the book, um, she has a dream, and I'll read, I'll read the excerpt I chose. I dreamt of two bodies, girls' bodies, our bodies. Our upper bodies had melted together, and our necks twisted around each other, thin and long like swans' necks. The girls were naked and hairless. Their faces were shadowed. It was impossible to tell who was who. The cracks between them were covered in white mold fur, as if they shared a skin woven around them. One of the girls turned her head towards the other and said, Let me tell you a fairy tale. And the other girl nodded, so the first continued. I'll tell you the fairy tale of the apple. Eve ate the apple and then Adam came and did so too. Afterwards, the apple was forgotten and it was assumed that it rolled away in the grass while Adam and Eve were chased out of the garden. But that's not true, because secretly the apple rolled in between Eve's legs, scratched open her flesh and burrowed into her crotch. It stayed there with the white bite marks facing out, and after a while the fruit flesh started to shrivel and mold threads grew from the edges of the peel. The mold threads became pubic hair, and the bite marks became the slit between the labia. Soon, all of Eden followed the apple's example and started to decompose and rot. And since then, this has happened in all gardens and everything in nature, and honey mushrooms came into existence, and rot and parasites and beetles arose. But the apple was first, and it never stops rotting. It just gets blacker. The apple has no end, just like this fairy tale. While the girl recounted the story, a forest grew around the two bodies, a forest that at once was and wasn't the brewery. The pine tree crowns burrowed through the roof, a waterfall splintered the stairs of the mezzanine, the floorboards melted into yellow and green heather, and then it started to rain. A mild autumn rain that whipped the girl's body soft and smooth, a deer walked out between the trees with an apple in its mouth. It had your face. Mm. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Beautiful. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I have so much to say about this excerpt. And I would just, Paradise Rot, please pick up a copy. It's just a mm -hmm. great, great book about queer sexual awakening. But I think for me, one of the, the main things that attracted me to it was exactly what I mentioned before, this idea of kind of, you know, she's talking about sex, but she's talking about everything in the end. She talks yeah. about her apartment. She talks about plants, about animals. I like that she uses this sensual approach of touch and smell and taste to blur the boundaries between different things. Mm. And to show, you know, like a lot of the theory that we study in class about, um, you know, with like Judith Butler and all of these thinkers, mm is of questioning the body as this self-enclosed entity. Yeah. And sex already is that because all of a sudden our body is not this closed 
entity but something that is open to another person but mm. by being open to another person what else can we be open to and mm. how would we interact with the world if we interacted with the world in a sensual way and that's what this whole novel is she's so attuned to the feeling of the table in the apartment the sounds of her flatmate peeing into the toilet and <laughs> everything is so sensorial mm. because she has that attraction and that desire but it just makes me think you know when you're when you're attracted to someone you become so much more alive in the sense of attuned to their smells to the sounds of their laughter to all of these mm. things and it's such a beautiful way of interacting with the world mm. it's an know? awakening of the senses in it's some an awakening sense. of the senses. bodies as space exactly and i think that that's also you know sometimes in this like rational kind of society that we're living in we forget about our bodies and the pleasures that our bodies Mm. can bring to us and like the fact that we're not just we can't just like see and think but we can touch we can smell we can you know rub our faces against somebody yeah. else's face and i think you know that's something you can do in sex but could we do it with other things what what would our approach to the world be if we were more thinking through other senses you know and also then our relationship for example to animals and the environment like people who we can't communicate with like verbally i'm not mm. saying <laughs> have sex with your pets i but feel if like you're into that that's okay <laughs> i um, feel like i was going in a weird direction there but i'm just saying like to feel more connected through the world through this sensorial and sexual way of thinking about things you know mm. really as a thinking tool as opposed to also just an act yeah. that you do with sex someone. is a thinking tool i really like that yeah mm. and i think also what i really loved about this was she talks about you know this this book's called paradise rot and here she talks about mold and about this apple decomposing mm. and these are things that i you know most of us would find disgusting and would kind of shy away from and not you know but I think that what's interesting about sex, though, is that sex redefines our relationship to things we find disgusting. You know, all of a sudden, spit, uh, snot, bodily fluids, pee for some people are just not as gross. All any fair game. <laughs> exactly. Are all fair game. And I think that that's very interesting because if you use, for example, like we have a very weird relationship with microbes. We think it's like kind of a disgusting mm -hmm. thing. But like microbes, just like mold are things that are also very generative and creative that we use for medicine, for food, for drinks. Mm. Um, and we often shy away from them in disgust. But if we were to not shy away from them in disgust, the same way we don't shy away from snot or spit like during sex, what could we find there? What's the creative power of them? And here yeah. she uses mold as a beautiful metaphor. She says, you know, the cracks between our bodies start to connect through this mold fur mm. and it's as though we shared skin and that's such a you know she made mold sexy yeah <laughs> you know it also encourages a curiosity as well which is I, I think so important with sex this openness and curiosity and that doesn't have to be just in intimacy it can also be going out into nature and touching a tree and and really experiencing the textures mm -hmm. and the different ant trails that are leading up that tree or the small twigs that branch off from the tree you know all of these little abnormalities and quirks in nature but also in our bodies are two in the same thing yeah definitely and i think that it's you know sex is one of the few moments in our life where we're not ruled by any you know it's not something we have to do it's not mm. an assignment or work as or, much as people try to regulate it they just can't you can just they? can't you know and I think that that's something that's really 
important you know and something that we could definitely take into other aspects of our life like to do something simply for the pleasure of it for the mm. for the the moment which is something that we don't have in that many other aspects of our life and you know it, if people were having more orgasms maybe we would believe in magic a little oh, bit more <laughs> you oh know it's such a it can be such a we have so many different states of consciousness that we can have you know and rationality is the one that we put the most focus on in our society but i think that there's a lot to be said about um the power and the healing power also of other states of mind including you know the kind of state of mind that you're in when you're having sex and you know i'm sure everybody's had the experience of being kind of like stressed or anxious and having sex and just feeling really good afterwards mm. and all of those worries kind of fading away so isn't there something to be said in the same way that you lose yourself when you're dancing or but i think there's something to be said about really thinking about these other states of mind and valuing them mm. in our own life and in society and seeing them as moments of you know especially when you're looking at the history of female desire as some sort of craziness or you know as some sort of um frenzy or, frenzy mm. exactly hysteria that's exactly the word you know mm. and then i think another interesting thing about this excerpt is the retelling of the story of adam and eve and yeah. also fourth episode where we were talking about, about genesis about ding 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 oh god i know i couldn't let us go by we're we're on a roll um <laughs> Thank you. I didn't bring up God this episode, but you sure did. Oh, God. I mean, when you're talking about sex, though, you have to like, yeah. oh, he's always God. watching. <laughs> She's always watching. She's always watching. Mm. Um, but I think that here it's super interesting because they take the the story of Adam and Eve, which is also the story of the beginning of sexuality somehow, mm. um, but turn it around in this way where and they turn it around in an interesting way by focusing on the apple yeah what happens to the apple after she's bitten it mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden the apple actually becomes a representation for the vulva like for the vagina mm. and then it becomes a story about female sexuality as the beginning of all things and to take that story and like twist it in that way i think is very very intelligent mm. It emphasizes the um, the ecosystem of natural structures that mm. we have to sort of explore. You know, science attempts to explore those those elements through a practical way and sort of seeks to exploit it in some sense. Mm -hmm. But there's also an understanding of bodily systems and ecosystems that can lead to absolute pleasure. And this apple, it's sort of like, what's at the core of the apple? How significant are its seeds? What's what's in there? What can I yeah. what can I explore and, and what are what are its uses? Yeah. What, what can it do for us? For sure. And I think that's also one thing that this because this whole book talks a lot about microbes and mold and like all of these sort of like mm. minuscule microbiological oh, I'm not a science <laughs> it's becoming painfully evident now that yes, we are not scientists, we are, that we are not scientists. <laughs> but I do think that from my very humanist point of view that's something that's really interesting to think about when you think about sex because what about like the really biological ways that two bodies actually connect like if you go to the microbes museum here in amsterdam um there's this like kissing booth where you can kiss a person and it tells you how many <laughs> microbes pass from um you to them when you're kissing and there is when you're connecting with another person there is a whole ecosystem it's not just the two of you it's an whole ecosystem and you're opening up to this other person in like multiple ways including this mm. including on this like super small level you know and i think that that has a lot to do with sex because 
a lot of it is unexplainable because it is about you know pheromones all of those things that make us mm. connect on this level that's post verbal yeah. <laughs> that's just nearly yeah biological or somehow in that sense i think your piece is so important because not only does it rewrite something as traditional as genesis but mm -hmm. it's also kind of rewriting biological presumptions that we have about female sexuality or the purpose of the female orgasm. I remember we saw a beautiful play at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival that you were heavily involved with, and mm -hmm. please remind me of the name. Uh, ejaculation. Ejaculation. Big shout out to Essie and her whole team. Yeah, Essie um, and Sarah, that was awesome. Actually, Essie's the one that introduced me to this book. Oh, of course, that's so <laughs> great. She's amazing, her and Sarah. And they throughout the play, they go on this exploration of female ejaculation and mm -hmm. what it actually means emotionally, scientifically how it's been erased from our history is something that is should be encouraged and, and mm -hmm. pursued because it is an amazing way to access pleasure and sense mm -hmm. and all of those things you were talking about like bodily fluids and sensorial experiences and I think our society does a very good job of trying to erase those things mm -hmm. at the justification of making sex something that is, you know, lie back and think of England, let's produce children, let's further the population. Yeah, and marketable. And yeah, exactly. And I think it's time for us to pick up the poetry books to discover, you know, it's sort of this secret meeting place to discuss what we're actually going through and expressing. Because if you're not having those conversations, and like me until you're 18, if you're all holding something back because of shame complexes or mm. not feeling desired, not feeling as if it's something you can openly talk about because mm. you're in a very vulnerable state at that age and as a teenager, then poetry can be a very good place to discover those things. Yeah. And, you know, you can go back as far as Sappho or you can go to the Norwegian fjords and discover the rot of paradise yeah. in your book. And I think this time more than ever for the, the beetroot listeners out there, whoever you are, mm. um, definitely go and have more conversations about sex and very honestly and vulnerably, I think, open up, you know, to your friends, your lovers uh, and have those discussions because I think we can create a new world around sex if we start using new words, new images, new ideas to talk about the kind of sex we want to be having and mm -hmm. the kind of sex that encompasses many different forms of desires and and uh, ways of pleasure yeah absolutely and of course safely do remember there mm. is a virus out there as you want guys we hope you've enjoyed this episode yes and just because i haven't done it so far let's talk about sex baby let's, let's talk, talk about, about you oh hell let's me. go out with let's get it on <laughs> <laughs>